Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag NBA. A lot of it is, you know, I'll have my mask on, everybody around me will have a mask on, or I won't be around them. That's one. Two, I won't be within six feet of anybody. And we have guys getting tested. And if you are personally responsible and do the, now, could it happen? Sure. It could happen. I can leave here. It could happen. But I have no apprehension. That's the Rockets coach, Mike D'Antoni, right there. He is ready for Orlando, one of a handful of coaches, over 65 in the league. Popovich, Alvin Gentry, some of the guys thought to be more at risk, but he is all ready to go to Houston or for Houston in Orlando, as you hear right there. And PK, we've had a few people opt out, but for a lot of people, think about it, weigh it, and then go. And Mike D'Antoni's on that list. Yes, he is. Didn't he make a comment, too, about the social distance of, of six feet that his guys normally don't get within six feet of the offensive player anyway? Bada-bing! Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. That's a Rockets defensive joke right there. Right there. We're going to outscore you. First one to 140 wins. Jazz have traveled and entered the NBA's bubble environment in Orlando, Florida. George Niang tweeting out about Cafe Rio. He already misses it. Did you see Jordan Clarkson's tweet? Then yeah, people, I, th- th- I think they had some funny tweets that were out there. I mean, Yang and Clarkson, I think it was a jail thing. With the gate, I, su- yeah. I assume that that was meant in jest and lighthearted. I, if, it, if it wasn't, maybe it's another story. But I took it as being funny. And Yang, too. Yeah, why not? Well, why not have a little fun with it? Nugget Center Nikola Jokic retested negative for the coronavirus in Serbia, but travel issues, the timing of the testing precluded him from joining the team for its flight to Orlando. Team did not confirm who was on their flight yesterday, but reports say the time needed for Jokic to test negative twice in Serbia and twice in Denver before traveling to Orlando held him up. So he'll meet the team in Orlando, but he's according to reports he's healthy and he is going to be there playing for the Nuggets. And obviously the Nuggets sitting in third in the West. They need him big time, PK. They're going to find a way to get to the conference final, which they couldn't do last year when they had home court and played a couple of game sevens and won one and lost one. Maybe this year they could pull it off, although the Clippers and Lakers are heavy favorites, but they need him and everybody's been waiting for him to get back. Yeah, it'd be a shame to lose all that weight and then not be healthy. NBA Commissioner Adam Silver knows there's a potential positive coronavirus cases in Florida and wants a couple of days of quarantine to reveal if there is, in essence... A hole in our bubble. So. There's a hole in my head, not in my bubble. <laughs> DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. We always talk about the great quarterbacks make everybody around them greater. So, and he has a unique ability to do that with with his teammates. And, you know, the Honey Badger is part of this, too. So he, he was the first guy that texted myself and Brett when the deal got done. Was We got a text from, from Tyron, and he just said, hey, what a great thing you did. But they both those two make our jobs very enjoyable, being able to come to work and have two great leaders like that, along with the other guys that, that love to play the game. So, listen, I'm if it takes me into my 70s, let's roll, Herbie. Doug, got it. I'm ready to go. 
Andy Reid ready to coach into his 70s. Football, football, and more football. How old is he? I think he's 63, 64. I was going to say 64 or 65. Yeah. So. Well, that's not far away then. Nope, he's 62. Oh, okay. 62. And he just had a birthday in March, so. Well, you know, when you got a winning situation, there's nothing like winning. There's really, there's no drug that can compensate for the high, thankfully, of winning. I mean, winning, and I don't really care what it is. It doesn't matter the level. Now, obviously, he's coaching at the highest level. But you could take, you know, beyond high school, what would be the lowest? Junior college football, uh, say, for that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I I covered junior college football. I covered El Camino uh, down there. People know that. Uh, It's a very good program down there. And, and, And those coaches, you know, during the season, that's their lives. And when they win... They felt great, and when they lost on a Saturday, uh, usually the games are Saturday night, they they felt awful, and there's nothing that can compensate for winning. So, obviously, the Chiefs got a winning situation now. Mahomes, even though he's brilliant already, he's barely getting started. And if he has his health, you know, you can expect him to be good for minimum, just off the top of my head, seven years. So if you're Andy Reid, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that now? If things change in three, four years, well, you can adjust accordingly. But right now, they look like they're going to be a contender for fill-in-the-blank years. And you've been grinding for all this time. Here's an opportunity to grind and then feel the ultimate reward at the end. Of course you would want to be a part of that. It makes complete and total sense that Andy Reid would say this. You know, the thing with Andy Reid is he's had so many, uh, just for a round number, just say 10 win seasons, and I know he's had so many more. We know about the run he had in the NFC title game. But he's been so good for so long with above-average quarterbacking, but not great quarterbacking. And now you get a great quarterback when at a time when that means everything in the game and means everything in the NFL – you know, how bad is he going to crush it from here? He's on uh, in Kansas City. He's been there seven years. He's had six seasons of 10 wins or more. He's had five of 11 or more. One nine, one ten, and everything else is 11 and 12 win seasons. And now you got Mahomes. And it's fantastic. Four and one in the playoffs. That's Mahomes' postseason record. So, yeah, you'd think he'd be fired up now and ready to go because – Nothing lasts forever in the NFL. Injuries and talent turns over, and it could look really different in two to three years. But, man, the way the last two years have looked, that's really the only negative thing you can say about the Chiefs is, well, this doesn't last forever. It's been that good. Eagles wide receiver Deshaun Jackson making apologies to the Jewish community with a promise to do better after he posted an anti-Semitic message on social media that he attributed Adolf Hitler, although that apparently isn't true. Uh, and also admiration for Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. The Eagles responded by calling his post offensive, harmful, and absolutely appalling. Said the team would take appropriate action. And we know right now what appropriate action is. Jackson posted his apology on Instagram. Sorry for any hurt he's caused. Really didn't realize what this passage was saying. I wonder if that can be good enough. It depends on who you are. I mean, for some folks and what you look like, you know, that is good enough. And that's good, I think. For others, man, you you got to pay a heavy, heavy price. And blood and flesh are required. And I think that's unfortunate. If someone does something 
And I have to take, I have to assume Jackson is sincere. I'm okay that, you know, I'm not okay with what he posted, but I'm okay that his apology sounds sincere. And I think, you know, once people apologize, you have to allow them the opportunity to prove it. You can say whatever you say, but once they say it, then, all right, now, sort of you're on the clock, so to speak. Now I get to judge you by your behavior. Does it match the apology? And if it does, then great. Let people learn. People are stupid sometimes. I'm stupid a lot of the times. And I would hope that my apologies would allow me to get better as a person. You know, and I looked at social media this morning, and somebody had said, not one NFL player has responded to this. And then you start getting, then the race gets in. Well, Riley Cooper said the N-word back then, and then this and that, and this is a double standard, that's a double standard. Every side, no matter what side you have in this world, it's a double standard. (laughs) But, But can we be forgiving to an extent? Is that possible? Or do we have to have blood every time somebody makes a mistake? Well, we just talked about this with the Morgan Scally situation. You know, is the uh, does it seem like they want to make good on it? Do, do they really want to follow through? And and then can you give people a, a second chance? And absolutely, it helps to be really good at your job and really talented. And Deshaun Jackson is good at his job and talented, so you know that helps. The, the old uh, you know don't fall asleep in the meeting thing. You fall asleep, I'll cut you. What if Troy Aikman falls asleep and Jimmy Johnson says I'll, I'll hit him on the knee and say Wake up, Troy. It helps to be talented. But eventually, my opinion is eventually everybody needs a second chance. So you better be dishing out the second chances if you're going to come around and ask for one. And eventually, we're all going to come around and ask for one. Yeah, and then once we get it, then, okay, as I say, you're on what the do clock. You do, with it? Right. do your actions match your apology? Allow people to grow from mistakes. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Ivy League expected to announce its plan today for fall sports, which could include a shortened schedule or postponing the football season until the spring. It's thought the decision the Ivies make could have a ripple effect on other conferences in deciding what to do about football. You know, we saw that certainly with the NBA in March, right? The NBA announced they weren't playing, and then we saw a conference tournament stop. And then there was ripple effect. Major League Baseball, PGA Tour, the Ivy League started it in basketball, and it rippled through all the conference tournaments. And it was really 48 to 72 hours. Everything, everything came to a stop. And so I guess everybody wonders if it's going to happen again. And I don't, you know, it could happen again, PK. I can't say it won't, but I don't think it'll happen as fast. And I may be sitting here in 48 to 72 hours, going, "Well, that's not true." Let's see what I'm saying Monday morning, right? But it seems like we know more now, and people are willing to say, okay, I think this is safe. I can push the envelope here a little bit. And everybody, you know, where the line is and how much you push the envelope, you know, people are different on that. But I just think everybody is willing to push it to a certain degree. So I don't think the Ivy League is going to have the same ripple effect at the same speed as in March. But you can't rule out how it'll play out over the course of, you know, two, three weeks, a month. Well, I think uh, back in March, there were literally games being played today. Yeah. There aren't games being played today. that's a good point. So back then, time was of the essence because you were literally in the moment. You had a game scheduled in an hour. The Jazz had a game scheduled in 10 minutes. 
And so conference the, tournaments were all bringing people into buildings. Yeah, they, they, they literally were. I was in Vegas at the time, and you know you had to get out of there because it was over. And people were uh, fleeing sounds dramatic, uh, but people were leaving the community to go home. And people I know of folks, now I drove, so it was very simple for me just to get in a car. But others who had plane reservations weren't taking them. They were renting cars and they were leaving, uh, particularly you know, uh, with you've got Southern California and Arizona and Utah. Uh, and it's all drivable. For th- yeah, it's yeah. all drivable in a day. You know, you can leave in the morning and be home by mid-afternoon in all those different places. And I and and I knew of many folks who did that. So it was a little. It was. I don't want to say panic. It's too much. But it was a greater sense of urgency. Whereas right now there isn't. And you know, I've been talking to some people. Talked to somebody yesterday, and they really believe that and they're going to try to do everything possible. But uh, forecast a deal where the conference is just close up uh, within themselves and they play their conference games and that's it and then the independents I don't know what happened to Notre Dame because they're in a unique situation there's no team or program like Notre Dame football that has a scheduling agreement and has his teams in the in the ACC how that will work but for the other what is there five other independents that they, if they want to have a football season that they're going to have to play each other and maybe have to play each other multiple times but for the Pac-12 person that I was speaking to sees a situation where they just play their conference games and that's it. And then they have, then they're only dealing with themselves if they have to make adjustments to the schedule. And then they, so then they can, they can figure it out and work together as opposed to having to bring in another conference to work. Because then you bring in another conference, you're basically bringing in all the other teams in the conference even though you're only playing the one team in the conference but then that that's the the ripple and domino effect ends up down the line for you know the big 12 what do they got 10 teams so if you had a game against them in a in a inter-conference game then you'd have to deal with that scheduling so that's just one possibility that I could see ha- actually action. You know, and I, I can see that, and it's been talked about it forever, and I get that. But the games are worth so much money that if you're in a conference with a nine-game season, and maybe we'll see, maybe they'll add 10th and 11th games inside the conference. But when you have a chance to play local or regional games that are pretty simple and straightforward, will you take that opportunity? You know, because everybody will be canceling, not everybody, Maybe everybody. Certainly, lot, we can see lots of schools, if not everybody, canceling the games that force you to travel and reschedule. But if you've got an open date and a team that can bust there, right? Now here, you know, that would mean Utah, Utah State, BYU, Weber State, whoever's not playing each other, you know, finding a date to play a game. But, you know, there's, I don't know what there are, seven, eight, nine, whatever it is, teams in Ohio, uh, they could be doing the same thing to get one more game because those games are worth so much money. ESPN and Fox are going to put on whatever they can get their hands on. So, will some of that happen? Will be there? Will there be some freelancing to get the 10th, 11th, or 12th game for Pac-12 schools? I mean, there's schools drivable in California. Stanford and Cal need one more game and need something to put on the Pac-12 network. Is San Jose State going to say no? I mean, I, I get the traveling cross-country thing can be hard. Maybe it is too hard. Maybe that stuff won't happen seems to me like that's low-hanging fruit and if you're desperate financially you'll go for it the other college football story alabama offensive coordinator steve sarkeesian 
undergoing heart surgery last week, expected to make a full recovery. The former BYU quarterback uh, got a physical, and they decided he needed a procedure to correct a congenital cardiovascular anomaly before it became an issue. Now, that's, uh, that's pretty fancy stuff right there, but then you dial down into that. Man, when the doctor says you need heart surgery and you need it now, it's going to freak you out a little bit. Now that's time to panic. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Obviously, everybody here wants to be ready, so we're working diligently to get ourselves prepared to play the season, but we also have to be smart about the safe and health concerns. Mookie Betts says he's ready to play, also mindful of the health concerns. Uh, stories out there about he's got to play to hit free agency, a whole lot of money on the uh, on the line for him, PK. One of the things guys have to weigh here as they decide what they're going to do. Oh, he's going to get a whole lot of money. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. He's really good. Angels, Shohei Otani, pitching competitively on the mound for the first time in two years at an intra-squad game. He's coming back from Tommy John's surgery. Uh, had control issues the first time out. Walked eight batters and 50 pitches. But as long as he walked up the mound and didn't feel any pain, I'll bet they were happy. I bet so, too. Clayton Kershaw, expected to make his ninth opening day start for the franchise. It's the Giants, it's the Dodgers, July 23rd. Baseball starting one week to the day before the Utah Jazz get it going in Orlando. Yippee. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. Major League Soccer opens his MLS backs tournament in Florida, Miami, and Orlando. Six o'clock on ESPN tonight. RSL's first game is Sunday. Nate Monuaha did not travel, so one RSL player opted out. Ooh. He's got a wife and kids. Nate Onuoha. Well, that's a cool name. Yeah. He's good, but they've got three center backs for those two spots, so. Ooh, depth, man. They've always had depth. <laughs> FC Dallas does not have enough depth to handle 10 positive tests for players and a staff member, so they are out. And uh, LAFC star player Carlos Vela is not playing. His wife is pregnant. And so he stayed with her. And that tournament gets going tonight. And the Utah Royals playing this morning, 1030. And that'll be on tape delay on the CBS Sports Network later today. DJ and PK, that's what's trending. Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Mike Weir, 745, the Masters champ, 2003. Getting ready to play on the Champions Tour. He just played at the Utah Championship and then went over to Colorado. So he's been back into tournament golf for a couple of weeks. We'll talk to him about what tournament golf is like and uh, his plan looking ahead at 745. Sarah Todd covers Utah Jazz for the and the NBA for the Deseret News. She's going to join us at 9 o'clock to talk about the restart of the Jazz season. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big Show. It's a big deal.
with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. The television voice of the Utah Jazz, Craig Bullerjack. Did you read Tim McMahon's piece about yes. the relationship between Rudy and Donovan? They're both incredibly talented young players trying to coexist, which a lot of combos don't. They break up. And I don't know where this one's going, but at least the discussion's been made, and they're going to be in a bubble. There's not going to be a lot of area that they can escape one another. Maybe they talk this through even more. There's a lot of what-ifs right now. Obviously, these games will play a real factor in how they do play and how they coexist together. We're going to get a lot of answers by the end of the month. Hopefully, they figured it out. If not, then something else will have to be done in the short term. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by Master Electrical Services. Master Electrical is always open during this challenging time. Call Master Electrical at 801-543-2222 for upfront pricing and your satisfaction guaranteed. Master Electrical will light up your day. PK. What? You don't really need me right now, do you? This oh, I segment, always need you. I need you like segment. the flower needs the rain. <laughs> I don't even like that song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is a segment where PK struts. I don't know which walk you want to go with. Do you want to go with the uh, the old school Travolta walking off the dance floor? Walking off the dance floor? Yeah, old school Saturday night fever. No, no, the better old school walk is probably George Jefferson. Who am I? I take that back. The arms behind you, the hips out, the shoulders gently bouncing back and forth. Victory. Victory! Or, or are you more Tom Brady now? The hands on the helmet, bouncing around on the sideline. I can't believe I won the Super Bowl again. No, no, because you can believe it. I don't think you're going there. There was a funny walk that Marcus Soule did probably about two years ago. He hit a shot. I don't remember if it was a game winner, but he's walking and he is uh, just moving his shoulders and arms in sync Mm -hmm. and he's flapping his arms and it was really funny. (laughs) Well, there's the classic gift that everybody uses. You can see it on on Twitter nearly every day with uh, Vince McMahon, very cocky, walking out of the tunnel. Yach's doing it right now. You can see the shoulders, can't you, Yach? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Irregardless is officially a word. You're going to just take a victory lap? Cal, Cal Rick, you know what I want to do? Strut. (laughs) There it is. You're Cal Ripken Jr. Just go to the ball yard and take the victory lap all around, high fiving everybody. You know, from six feet away, obviously, socially distanced, of course, according to the Times. How are you going to celebrate that irregardless is officially a word? Well, I always knew in my heart it was a word. Leader, trendsetter. I've been saying it for years. No, I want the it's you two owe me an apology because you always ragged on me for not memorizing the text line, and I told you it was a waste of time. Why clutter my mind with something I'm not going to lead o- need over the long term? And I was right. We did away with that, and so you always mocked me, and so uh, in your face. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know this one here. Many people came after me and said it was not a word, and I said no. You're absolutely wrong. You are wrong. This is a word. You can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman's man. No time to talk. Yep. That was a good get on Strut. I got to give you. I got to give you full credit for that, Yock. That was excellent. You daddy's tweeting at us because it's out on uh, Twitter and Facebook. Uh, does anybody want to uh, line up? Who, who wants to be first in line to apologize to PK now? 
Uh, and you, Daddy? Nope, not me. No, I'm out. I'm not apologizing. Uh, Timmy sends us a, a gif. Uh, nah, bro. <laughs> There's a guy. It looks like he's sitting on a table or something. It's from Workaholics. It's oh, a it is? TV show. Okay. Nah, bro. <laughs> I, I don't know what that show is, but now I want to watch it after seeing this. I, I can imagine this character because I think I went to school with him. <laughs> you probably everyone went to high school went to high right? school or college with this guy. Nah, bro. <laughs> Where does it air? If I'm mistaken, Comedy Central. I think it's uh, its run is done now. Okay, they had a good run there. So for I'll a while. just have to find it on demand. Uh, they're all lining up. UG Dilly Dilly. Uh, nope, not apologizing. Nothing. Got nothing for you. I I don't know if you're going to get any satisfaction here, PK. Well, because they have large egos and they can't admit that they're wrong. I understand that. Admitting that you're wrong and saying that, hey, I made a mistake, I apologize, sometimes it's very humbling. I actually think it's very refreshing and it's very freeing. And <laughs> having, when you, having done it a few times and perfected yeah, the art. <laughs> when, when you do that, you release the burden that you carry. And I'm to be, I'm being actually dead serious. And, and when you realize you made a mistake and ask for forgiveness obviously it's a very humbling thing but it's something that can allow you to progress and more often than not my experience is is the person on the other end is going to accept it and you're going to grow closer in that way i'll give you a little example i was driving last year to uh pac 12 media day right and we're not having that this year in in hollywood as they've had uh well, every year, and it's been one of the highlights of my year to be able to go down there. I've gone down every time. Only person from our station has gone down there every time, and, and we have used to be two days. Now they do one longer day, which I think was a good move. And so I'm coming out of Vegas, and I am in the middle lane, and I want to get over to the far left lane, the fast lane. Well, there was a blind spot, and I basically cut off a car, right? They start beeping and just going nuts in the gyrations behind me. And so I thought, oh, man, I totally screwed up. So then I pull over into the middle, get back in the middle lane, and then the car that I passed, they get right even with me, right? And the driver and the passenger, they're like making gyrations to me. So I mouth, I had a ball cap on, so I mouth that I'm sorry, and I tip my cap. And the passenger immediately within two seconds gives me the thumbs up like i got it and all right i felt a lot better i made a i made a mistake that could have been really really nasty you know all mistakes are not created equal obviously but this one i didn't cause damage i obviously i didn't see them i didn't mean to do it but nevertheless i made a mistake and i felt good about it i felt that that this person here would see that and then recognize in his heart, okay, he made a mistake, he didn't mean to do it, I'm going to forgive him. Can you imagine if we did that as a society a lot better than what we're currently doing? <laughs> and he never met me, and it was, it was literally you know, a 10-second encounter. And then they went on their way, and... I assume they were driving into California. Most people coming out of Vegas, that's where they're going. So that was it. And and I just remember the look on his face. You could tell, hey, I got you, buddy. 
we're good. It was just a little thumbs up. Now, it happened to be an African-American man. That's irrelevant to the story. But all the stuff that's going on in the world today. Can you imagine if we had more? Hey, man, I made a mistake. I'm sorry. And then the person on the other end says, I got you. We're good. Let's go forward. That's a small example. And I realize you probably didn't think that this is where this was going to go. It was going to be screwing around on the word irregardless. But I look at it. And thinking bigger picture, I think the world would be a better place if we could find a way to look at someone and say, you know, I did you wrong. And I'm sorry for it. And that person just gives you the thumbs up and says, I got you. Let's go forward. Now, all these idiots here on Irregardless, they're too thick-headed and they're ignorant (laughs) and they're buttheads and they're not going to do it. Devin, Oregon Duck fan, Portland Trailblazer fan. Uh, Ooh, what a sad combo. The dumbing down of America continues. It's not dumbing down. It's actually far more educating of America. Ron, irregardless is a word like ASU is a school. Barely. That actually got uh, four laughing emojis. Of course. That's what I'm talking about. Not only will I not ex- I ex- extend an apology, I'll ridicule you to make me look better in the process. Jacob, I'm sorry that you were offended. There's the half-baked apology. That's even worse. That's better than not doing it. That just inflames the situation. That doesn't decrease it. Makes it seem like you shouldn't have been offended. Now you're wrong again. Well, you're piling on. Yeah, it's, it's a complete and total condescending apology, which makes it worse. Makes the person who believes he was offended feel even worse than he did about the offense to begin with. That's like the worst thing you can do. Dustin, however, takes a different tone. I knew the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism would eventually be right. You know, you just, uh, Walter, it's like, you know, share. Kareem, Madonna, Walter. You know exactly who you're talking about. Mm. Deej. You know what I mean? Oh, geez. (laughs) You know, the best story about the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism is the one you told probably at least five years ago that you'd been spewing this stuff. And, you know, you just you try it out at home. It's not something you just do for radio. This is how you are. You will so drop. I go down to Hermosa to the a comedy club on you, Sundays? No. Uh, you, but you're the, the, you get stuff in the mail. Like and they, Jay Leno used to do? They say, yeah. They send you something, and your wife sees it, and she goes, Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. That's a real thing? I always thought you were just blah, blah, blahing around. <laughs> no. She, even she, hears stuff come up. She's like, ah, here he goes again. <laughs> the print journal, the print journalism, broadcast journalism school... Walter Cronkite lent his support to it, and that's what it was named after. And it's named after now. And it's actually gone when I was there. It was just barely getting started. But now it is one of the better ones. And it's recognized as one of the better programs in the country. They have uh, satellite offices in L.A., no less. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's no longer. The building is no longer even on the main campus. It's downtown. It's which downtown. It's about uh, tops ten miles away from from the campus 
the, the campus would be uh, like West Tempe and de- downtown. It's not that far away. And that's where the TV, all the TV stations are located downtown. And so, and, and the Arizona Republic is so all, it's where all the places are. So they actually moved the school down there. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's recognized. It's really taken off, actually, and it's gained respect around the country for uh, having an excellent uh, journalism school, broadcast and print. Cody analyzes the whole discussion by saying, holy bleep, we need sports back. <laughs> he would prefer we were talking about a game right now. Yeah, you know, I don't think we need sports back, which I think that's the beauty of it, is I want it back. We don't need it back. Now, people who jobs rely on it, that's another story. But I'm speaking from the general public perspective. And you don't have a financial stake in it. Which, Because if, if you do, then it takes on a whole other meaning. And of course you need it back because you need your employment. And that's very, very serious. But I'm talking about just the general public who is a teacher, is a barber, is a banker, whatever it might be. And... I think that you hear, well, I've been getting along without, I don't need it. Well, of course you don't need it. That's not the point. The point is you want it. That's the point. You want it back because it's fun, and that's what it should be exclusively. It should be fun. So then we don't have these you-know-whats who are tweeting or social media messaging in some form or another at Ryan Lacey because Ryan Lacey says what he says. And there was a, uh, what was there, somebody up in Heber last year who went after a defensive back at ASU? Yep. And they went after his mother, and then his mother put the responses on social media. Uh, I forget all the circumstances involved. No, that is so far over the freaking line that that's what I'm hoping that this situation that we're going through right now, we can come out of it from the benefit. There, Hopefully there'll be some benefits for it. And I'm hoping, and maybe it's just Pollyannish and it's ridiculous, I'm hoping that the sports gets more in the perspective. I don't need to get any satisfaction out of a 20-year-old playing football in a red or blue uniform. But I want it. And it's a whole lot of fun when my team in overtime beats the illustrious USC tradition-laden Trojans in Provo to where I'm going to celebrate. And it's an afternoon game. Get a load of this, an afternoon game. Are you kidding me? And I'm with my family or some people that I really, really enjoy spending company with, which is probably both, and we're celebrating because our team pulled off the upset, and if we want to go out on the field after the, hopefully the, the Trojans have left so there's no uh, any stupid incidences regarding uh, players or maybe a coach's wife, blah, 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 none of that nonsense, and I'm going to celebrate with with kids who are wearing my team's uniform, and then I'm going to go out to eat with my family, and we're going to have a great evening. That's what I'm talking about. Not this other stuff where Ryan Lacey says this, so I'm going to go after him and give him death threats? Where is your perspective? What are you thinking? My goodness, that is so over the top. So I'm hoping this deal here, we want sports. We don't need them. Yeah, but I do think uh, you know you're a little Pollyannish when you say that, and that's why you you throw it out there. You know, six months, a year from now, two years from now, whatever. 
It'd be great if it were dialed back. It just doesn't seem very likely. You don't have to dial back the passion. You just have to be involved in it. 15 days to Major League Baseball if you want a game. 22 days to the Jazz opener with the Pelicans. DJ and PK, Mike Weir's golfing again. We'll talk with the Masters champ next. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. David Locke, play-by-play voice of the Utah Jazz. How each individual adapts to this environment and deals with it is going to dictate each individual's success and the team's success. This is so dramatically different than anything anyone's ever done before. From a social standpoint, from a preparation standpoint, from a game time standpoint, from a no-crowd standpoint, in some ways, I think it might be the best basketball we've ever seen. There'll be no distractions. No travel. Their rest will be very consistent. By the time we get to the second round of the playoffs in September, these guys will have been playing for two months. They'll be at their peak. They won't be tired like they've come through an 82-game schedule. It could be the best basketball we've ever seen. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you by Syringa Networks, home to complete business telecom and IT solutions. Backed by an industry-leading SLA that guarantees the uptime your business needs. It's effective communications for 21st century Utah. Get started now at syringanetworks.net. Time to talk with Masters champ Mike Weir now. He joins us on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Mike, good morning. Morning, DJ. You better DJ? say, yeah. There you go. <laughs> He'll come after you. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> He'll come after you if you don't say hello. So we're curious. Uh, well, we're curious about many things, but let's start with the return to tournament golf in the uh, you know the new world post uh, post coronavirus and all that. You played in a couple tournaments in Utah and Colorado. What's the same and what's changed? Oh boy. Well, the same as the competition, you know, I think, you know, with fans or without fans, I think once you get it, kind of get on the course and get out there, you're, you're competitive. I mean, whether you're playing, you know, $10 Nassau with your buddies or playing a tournament, you, you still want to win, you still want to compete. And um, so that, that the feelings you get when you're playing a tournament are the same, but the, you know, the energy is quite different. I mean, you, you get your scorecard in the clubhouse. There's not a starter on the first tee or, you know, there's obviously no fans. There's no concessions. There's no grandstands. So, you know, when you're playing well and you're, and you're, you're maybe making some birdies, you can really feed off the energy of the crowd. Um, so that's not happening, but, um, yeah, it kind of brings me back to when I was starting out as a young pro in my, in my twenties of coming out of BYU and playing, you know, some, some events on the Canadian tour and some in Asia and um, mini tours around the country where you're just out there, you know, playing for a few bucks, hopefully to kind of get by and play week to week, but there's no fans out there. So it kind of, kind of has that type of feel to it. So does that force you then to have increased conf- uh, concentration and energy, those types of things? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get lulled into – being maybe a little bit too casual and, um, you know, not paying attention to details as much, um, I found. So, yeah, I think, you know, you do have to bring your, your energy level up a little bit more sometimes. And, um, yeah, just, just, just pay attention to details. I think, you know, with the energy of the crowd and everything, it seems to heighten your awareness a little bit more than, 
and kind of what's going on right now. You know, for a lot of people, the scariest thing playing golf is teeing off on the first hole with people watching, right? He's <laughs> just like, even right. one even one foursome can send people into a tailspin. Uh, right. But, uh, and I'm curious how often pros feel nerves on the PGA Tour. For some guys, maybe it's just in Phoenix where the crowds are so big and the behavior can be so untraditional. How about we go with that? So untraditional. And with other guys, maybe it's the pressure of a major or something. How often do you feel nerves on a course? And does that change at all when there's no fans out there, there's no one cheering, there's no one heckling either? Right, right. It, it changes week to week, yeah, for sure. I mean, that, that's a real thing. In fact, I remember um, I played uh, the AT&T Pebble Beach one year with Wayne Gretzky, and we were on the first tee. And on Sunday, I was playing really well, so we were in the in the final group playing with Davis Love, and because of our team, Wayne and I, made the cut as a team, he got to play Sunday as well with all the fans and being in the last group, and he looked at me and he said, I don't know how you do this. <laughs> he, was so, he was so nervous. I'm like, listen, you're the greatest hockey player of all time. He's like, I just have to jump over the boards and skate. I don't have to think about the crowd. We're reactive and we're just going. So, yeah, to your point, yeah, each tournament's a little bit different. I still feel still feel the nerves whether there's people there or not and then it gets more heightened at you know a tournament where there's fans it gets even heightened more at a major or i've never played a Ryder cup but for me a president's cup when you're you know represent your country and your teammates and there's a, another level of pressure that you're feeling on the first tee when you when you have a teammate to that you're trying to play well for as well so there's kind of varying levels um but i think still right now guys are feeling the jitters. I mean, I've heard Tiger talk about it. Jack Nicklaus said he's he wants to feel the nerves. That that gets him excited and gets him engaged in what he's doing. If he didn't feel it, he, he knew he was in trouble. So I think we all feel it to some some varying degree, depending on on the tournament. So there's been three weeks of touring on the on the regular tour, right? They started down in uh, Fort Worth and. Uh, uh, what Hilton Head and then Detroit. So I've watched all three of them because I've been starving for live sports. And now, as we got past the Detroit one and DeChambeau won it, obviously, it it be, kind of became a new normal to me watching without the galleries. And you're used to the galleries. Uh, do you think that 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 will be like in the short term for players that this is the new normal, so they're going to adapt to it mentally? Yeah, I, I think so, PK. I think guys are, are starting to kind of, especially the guys that have played every week, and now they're kind of falling into their own routine with that now and having to, to show up to the tournament a little bit early and get tested. Um, and every day you go to the course, you know, we're doing you know, the temperature checks and keeping the distance from the caddies and the caddies having to carry these little, you know, disinfectant wipes to wipe down the, the pins and wipe down the rakes and, you know, the first week of all that, it was kind of definitely bizarre to see all that going on. But now everybody, you know, it's kind of just, it's kind of part of the flow and in the in the course of the of the whole and of the of the day, it just seems to kind of flow naturally. And now that I've played a couple of these events, it's it seems like it's the caddies are used to it, the players um, were in the short term kind of dealing with it pretty well, I think. You mentioned DeChambeau, so what do you think when you see him just crush a ball 350 yards? <laughs> wow, it's uh, it's probably going to become the norm, I think. I think it's just with the way the better athletes that we have out there now and also, you know, knowing the science behind, you know, the optimizing your launch conditions, 
um, get finding the right golf ball shafts, driver heads, to maximize what you can get out of it. Um, and now training in a way to, to maximize that, getting these better athletes in there, you're just seeing these golf courses just being bullied around. And uh, it's in, in some ways it's, it's fun to watch, but in some ways I feel bad for these golf courses, dog leg holes that were designed to play a certain way and guys don't even look at bunkers that are supposed to play around. They just send it way over and have little flips into the hole. So Detroit Golf Club is a perfect example. Traditional, great old club. That's a beautiful traditional layout, but plays like a pitching putt for these guys. And, um, <laughs> you know, it just, it just, that's, I think that's, we're going to keep seeing more and more of that. You're going to see the, the college kids training in a way that, you know, for power and speed. Um, and, you know, I, I just see the trend kind of continuing that way. I don't know how they're going to slow it down. That's funny you say about the dog legs because uh, last year I played Hidden Valley. I played with this little lefty from Canada, and he never had any dog legs. He just freaking hit it over, and he landed on the other side of the free or fairway. And honestly, it was ticking me off. <laughs> and now just think, these guys these guys carry it fifty yards past me. So right, you know what they're doing to a golf course. Um, it's, it's just remarkable. You know, I can do it on, you know, altitude here on a shortish golf course, but they're doing it on some, some pretty long golf courses. In fact, this last week where I played in Colorado, the course was over 8,000 yards long from the tip that had a 775-yard par 5 where I hit driver 3 with 7 iron, and these young guys are getting it close to the green, 770 <laughs> yards full. So, um yeah, totally, totally, completely different game, even from from my game. So that seems to me like there's three options going forward. Then, Mike, Mike Weir, Masters champ, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. One, someone's going to build 9,000 and 10,000 yard courses because you're right, the college kids, and this is where the game's going in the next 10 or 20 years. Or can you redesign the older courses, traps, rough, plant trees? and really put a premium on accuracy and put a lot of risk out at 330, 350 yards and maybe less risk back at 290 and 300. Or we all just get used to 20 under, 25 under as winning scores and that's a new normal and, and we enjoy it and so what? Yeah, those are great points. I mean, it just, just depends on, I guess, smarter people than me is what what the the viewers on TV want to see. Do they want to see the low numbers or do they want to see guys struggle a little bit and lengthen the courses and make, I've always believed there should be a premium on on, uh, driving accuracy, you know, make the rough a little bit more penal. Um, Some courses will be able to lengthen a little bit, obviously budgets and uh, whether they want to do that or not. Um, some some courses are you know land restricted where they can't do it, but uh, some of the new courses, yeah, you can lengthen them out. Um, but it doesn't do much for the average player. That's the thing. You, right. you build these really long courses. It really doesn't do. You know, the average player hasn't gained a ton of distance with uh, the equipment. They've gained a little bit, but not not as much as you know the training that a professional athlete does to, to get ready is is completely different. So. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see, but I have always believed that if you grow some rough, make the greens a little bit firmer. I saw a quote from Jack Nicklaus. He said that, and I totally agree. You make the greens a little bit firmer uh, and grow some rough. And yeah, if the guy's really long and he's hitting a narrow fairway, well, more power to him. But don't don't make it, you know, no 
no penalty if he drives it out there 360 yards and he's 20 yards in the rough and he still has a shot. That should be he should be in some deep rough. Um, I've always believed for for tournament golf that uh, there should be a little bit more premium on um, hitting the fairway because out of the fairway you can spin the ball and, and be able to stop it on a firm green. Where if you're in the rough, you shouldn't be able to stop it on a firm green. So, so like the other more of that. The other day, Mike, I played with uh, the Promontory Pro, Ryan Karcher. I'm sure you know who he is. And, yeah, Karcher's good buddy. And he had a, he, uh, and he was just awesome. And I watched him play, and his swing was so smooth, right? And it was like it was effortless, but he was just hitting bombs left and right. He was a really good player. And then I look yep. at DeChambeau, who has this really eye view as a violent swing. I haven't, I've only seen it in on television. I haven't seen it up person. I'm wondering how can the body be able to deal with that over a course of uh, the next 10 years because DeChambeau is young enough. He should be on the tour for the next 10 years. Do you have any concern about many any type of physical effects with that violent of a swing? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, uh, that's definitely an issue. And uh, the time will tell, you know, where when you're swinging at it that hard, and, and it is a violent, violent move, you know, he... He has a great combination right now of this violent driver swing move, but he's, he has some nice uh, rhythm to his irons and uh, his short game and stuff, so he's, he's got a good combo of both things going on. But when you're when you're training for speed and trying to increase your speed, the only way to get speed is to keep swinging hard. And every week trying to swing harder and harder to get that miles per hour of your swing up. So over time, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if a guy's body holds up because we know and I know that, much as I've kind of studied this stuff, I mean, it puts a tremendous amount of torque on your spine, your low back, vertebrae, your hips. Um, when you're when you're swinging at 195 or your ball speed 195, swing speed 130 or something, you know that's a that's a lot of pressure on you know on your vertebrae and on different joints and ligaments and things. So yeah, well, it'll, time will tell here what uh, what happens with these guys that are just ripping at it like that. You know, it's one thing for uh, an average golfer to take a lesson and try to tweak something. It's another thing for a pro to really, uh, for lack of a better word, analytics is the word, right, in, in baseball yeah. and in basketball. So how yeah. much are you into – baseball players are into launch angle, right, and they, they get into launch angle, they hit more home runs. When you're talking about, you know, golf and, and drivers and, and maximizing distance and club hit speed, do you get into stuff – like launch angles, are all this technical stuff that the elite pros are studying? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know we have these uh, we have these launch monitors. Most of the guys on the tour now carry with them. They travel with their launch monitors, so they're trying to optimize their launch angle, the spin rate, uh, you know, ball speed, attack angle, all of these different analytics that uh, that maximize distance, and they, and they can vary it week to week if a if a golf course happens to have gotten a lot of rain and it's very soft and they want to, you know, they know the ball's not going to run very far when it lands, so they're going to try to maybe increase their launch. So they might practice if their launch angle is 15-degree launch, they might try to get it up to 16 or 17, um, which might get 20 more yards extra carry. Might might be spinning a little more, but that doesn't really matter if the course is wet, where if the course is firm, they wanna, might want to bring their launch angle down try to get the spin down so when it hits the ground it takes off and, and runs a long way so yeah guys each week are tweaking and, and trying to find that uh a maximum benefit for that golf particular golf course that week 
So you played in, in Utah and then over in Colorado with the intent of preparing for the senior tour. How's the, How are those plans coming along? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, I don't have anything for the next uh, three weeks, the, the Champions Tour. Not, yeah, not the senior tour anymore, PK. It's the Champions okay. Tour. Okay, you're right. My, my mistake. <laughs> <laughs> we are seniors. Um, yeah, you know, it was good to play and see kind of some of my, my shortcomings, things I need to work on. Uh, and that's the purpose for me that I wanted to play some of these events to to see under the gun what uh, what needs to be tidied up a little bit. And for me, I hit I've been hitting the ball pretty darn good, and uh, my short game just needs some more work. I I wasn't putting very well, and you know my up and down games, some pitching and putting normally that I hit some of my pitches around the greens to tap in. I was keep myself six feet, eight feet. Um, I wasn't very sharp there, so. It kind of gave me a heads up on the next couple of weeks. This, this is what I really need to work on, and uh, so that's what I plan to do the next few weeks is really work on my short game. He's Mike Weir. He is the 2003 Masters champion, and he's gearing up for the Champions Tour. Mike, as always, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. We're going to get that game here soon in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. DJ PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Always good to talk golf with Mike Weir, even if it means 9,000 and 10,000-yard courses, PK. Seems to me that's the most expensive option. I think it's either going to be tweak the courses and the landing area at 350 or uh, just get used to 20 under. Yeah, but the problem is if you increase the distance, you're only rewarding those who continue to bomb it more. Yep. It's like if you raise the rim, there's been talk of that, not mm-hmm. so much anymore. But you all you're doing is helping the taller players. That's not really the way to go. Grow the rough out and maybe uh, tweak the greens a little bit, right? Because uh, Augusta, and it's just the the thing I love about the Masters. Everybody loves something different, but you, you guys walk up to a hole at Augusta, you and you can pick so many different holes on the course, and you don't know if they're going to make bogey or birdie. And, you know, two guys in a group, one guy can make bogey and one guy can make birdie. There is, there's risk reward built into that course. It's so spectacular. And they have lengthened, obviously, tees and tried to tiger-proof it. We know all those stories. Uh, but there's still something about where you are in the fairway, the the stopping the ball on the green, the angle of the creek in front of the green, and it's just all kinds of drama. And so you just wonder how much courses can be can be tweaked like that. So that it's not all, hey, 25 under, but he just couldn't quite get in the hunt. Okay, that's outrageous. (laughs) I know, I know. I know, but so is a field full of guys driving the ball 350 yards. I mean, there was a time not that long ago when Tiger was hitting at 310 and other guys were hitting at 285 and going, how am I supposed to compete with that? Now now you got a guy driving at 340, 350. Yeah, but there's still other aspects of the game that you have to master too. Yeah. All right, DJ and PK, Sarah Todd covers the Utah Jazz and the NBA for the Deseret News. She's going to join us in one hour right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.